Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I hey, that's good to hear people say good morning back. Um, I'm I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, grateful to be here together with you this morning. Um, as we get started here, I have a little bit of Crosspoint family news. Scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so uh, this morning, I just want to pass some things along to you. Um, be in prayer for Vince and Jamie Knight. Vince's mother passed away unexpectedly this past week, uh, actually on December 30th. The funeral and the visitation are uh, today and tomorrow in Roseville, Illinois. Um, and uh, you can find the link to the obituary and to those uh, details on our Facebook page, but be in prayer for them. Uh, send them text message, call them, encourage them, pray with them. Okay, pray for them, love them, and uh, um, especially if you know what it's like to lose someone so close like that. Uh, we also rejoice with those who rejoice, and so um, we want to just celebrate with Gramps and Graham. Is it Graham or Grandma? Nanny, Gramps and Nanny, uh, Phil and Kelly Cooper. They're pseudo-famous now um, through their grandson. First grandson, uh, first grandbaby for them, but uh, first baby born in Peoria County uh, on New Year's Day morning at like 1.35 a.m. Kaiser Samuel Stahl was born to Carrie and Kendall. So we're excited for them, um, but don't let it go to their heads. So let's just keep them in check a little bit, and uh, um, we'll, we'll rejoice more with Carrie and Kendall since they're the actual parents, okay? Uh, ushers, if you have, come on forward, you can pass out the guest connection cards. Um, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know this is something that, that we do at the beginning of the service. It's something to help us uh, as, as elders and pastors care for you better. If you're new here, there's a section for you to fill out there uh, in, the, in, the, in the middle there for um, us to just kind of get some information from you. Um, there's a prayer section at the bottom for how we can pray for you. Uh, and we do that. We love to do that. Um, also, as you're filling that out, uh, I want to mention something. House-to-house groups start uh, this week, okay? And for three weeks in January, we're gathering together in homes around a meal uh, as, as the body of Christ in small pockets in homes. And uh, we're digging into the one another's of Scripture together. We're encouraging everyone to participate in this, whether you're in a current community group or not. Uh, and so uh, if you're not signed up for that already, you can sign up for that a couple ways. As the guest connection card is going past, you can just write down, um, I want more information about this in the prayer section there or somewhere on that card. Write that down and I'll get in contact with you. You can email me, eric at crosspointcc.org. That contact information is on the back of your program. Or uh, for all of you tech-savvy folks, you can take your smartphone and you can go back to the guest connection guest connections center not right now but at the end of the service and you can scan a qr code and it'll pull up an online form that you can fill out and that'll send all that information to us and then we can help you get plugged into a group but we want to encourage you to do this our hope is that groups will new groups will form out of this and really more just um total engagement of the body into these smaller groups so that we can gather around uh god's word together and grow together right you are not meant to follow Jesus by yourself. And so this is one great way that we can do that. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. We have groups available in Eureka, in Goodfield, in Secor, in Gridley, in Roanoke, Sundays through Thursdays for the next three weeks. So you have plenty of options to choose from. So I hope that you'll do that. All right. Take your Bibles out. Open them up to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 will be in verses 26 through 40. We are in a current message series called The Church on Mission, and we're taking uh, a look at all the way through the book of Acts. And if you remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gives his disciples a promise. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The promised Holy Spirit comes in chapter 2. And the witnessing begins. It starts in Jerusalem in chapter 2. And then in chapter 8, we see it move outward towards Samaria. And then in chapter 13 and onward, we see it start to begin to go out towards uh, the ends of the earth. And now today, that same promise, that same call for uh, people to go and be witnesses is happening. People are continuing to go 
to the ends of the earth, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, a, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave mentioned that the book of Acts, although it's often known of, as the Acts of the Church, it's, it's really better known as the Acts of the Spirit. And today, the main focus of our passage is on the Spirit as he leads Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch and he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ. If you've ever struggled in your witness, with your witness to others, today's passage will offer you some great encouragement. So I want to read it, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message here. Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, you may have noticed as I was reading that, that verse 37 is missing, and we'll address that before we leave here today. So all you OCDers who need that verse to be in there, like me, okay, take a deep breath. We'll get to it. And you're probably thinking, why did he pronounce Candace, Candacy? We'll get to that too, all right? So um, I want to pray. And let's go. Jesus, you are so good to us. We are so thankful that we can gather here together to hear from the word of God, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to know you, to follow you, to drive us toward greater obedience and joy in the Lord. So I pray that that would happen here today. I pray that your word, because of your spirit, would burn in our hearts to cause us to fall in love with Jesus Christ, the one who saved us. God, we love you and we praise you and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Why are you so happy all the time? That's the question that I got asked my freshman year while I was sitting in a computer lab by a girl named Chelsea. She was sitting next to me. I had just broken my wrist, my left wrist, playing street hockey. Um, I wish it was a, a better, like, manlier story you know, like I got in a fight with somebody, and, um, but it wasn't. I just slipped and fell, broke my wrist, okay? Only bone I've ever broken. That's not really the point of the story, so. Um, but, but I'm sitting there. I'm trying to type something with this cast on, and uh, instead of getting mad, I'm just, I'm just kind of humming. And if you know me um, for five minutes, you know that I I'm almost always have a song in my head. And so Chelsea noticed this, and, and, and we were friends, and so she kind of knew, you know, who I was and, and things like that. And so she just saw this, and finally she's like, Eric, why are you so happy all the time? Now, I had been a Christian for a couple years, so what do you think my answer was? You know what I told her? I said, I don't know. I just am. Nailed it, Right? Knocked it out of the park. Angels sang. She gave her life to Christ right there. The Lord came down and just handed me a gold medal. It was beautiful. Okay? I wish, I wish that those were not the words that came out of my mouth, but that is what I told her. That was 20 years ago. 
but I still remember it like it was yesterday because I had an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and I chickened out. But let me ask you this. What would your answer have been? Would you have been able to share the gospel with her? Or would you have said the same thing as me or maybe something different? Or maybe you just wouldn't have been happy and you'd have been crushing that keyboard with your cast. So she'd ask you, why are you mad all the time, right? Evangelism comes more easily to some than it does to others. But as Christ followers, we are all called to do it. If you call yourself a Christian, then you are part of the Acts 1-8 call to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that can feel like a daunting task. It can be super stressful. It can be a terrifying thing even if we have the wrong view of how evangelism works. You see, we have a tendency to misunderstand or even neglect the Holy Spirit's role in evangelism. We fail to see the providential work behind the scenes of the Spirit, or we fail to rely on the power of the Spirit to change a person's heart, and so we either fail to share the gospel altogether, or we end up relying on our own power to try and convince somebody of the truth. But if we are going to be effective witnesses for Jesus, then we have to follow the Spirit's leading. Today, we are going to look at a Spirit-empowered evangelist named Philip and the opportunity that he has to share the gospel with an Ethiopian official. And as we work our way through this passage, we're going to see that the Spirit leads us to people. The Spirit leads people to Jesus. The Spirit leads people to faith. And the Spirit leads us to more people. So let's get started. The Spirit leads us to people by orchestrating encounters for gospel purposes. Look again at verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Now, common Jewish thought at the time often interchanged uh, the the term angel of the Lord and spirit of the Lord. And as we look through this passage, we're going to see Um, more references to the Spirit of the Lord. And so it's probably safe to assume that this is an internal prompting by the Spirit uh, on Philip. But but even if it was an audible uh, call by a visible angel, the, the main point that we need to see here is who is doing the initiating. Who is doing the prompting? Who is leading? Who is setting up what's about to happen? This is a divine prompting. God is doing the initiating here. And he's doing it for a reason. He's sending Philip to a person who needs to hear the gospel. You see, the gospel is for people, right? The plan of God is for us to take the gospel out to the far corners of the earth so that people will hear it and people will respond to faith in Jesus Christ. Think for a moment about how many people pass through your field of view on any given day probably more than you can count. Now think about the number of people that you encounter each day. Not talking about the ones that just kind of pass by, but the ones that you actually interact with. How often do you view those encounters as being divinely orchestrated for gospel purposes? Notice here that Philip is not told who to look for. He's only told where to go, but he's not given a general direction. He's told specifically what route to take. There were two roads that led from Jerusalem to Gaza, a northern road and a southern road. And the southern road uh, was often less traveled because it went through the desert, but that's the road that Philip was told to take. And now you, you may remember from uh, Luke's gospel that he's a man of detail. Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and so he's retelling this story here as we're reading it. And he includes details like this is the desert road in verse 26. And that's an important detail that we're going to want to remember later on. But Philip had a specific place to be at a specific time. The angel of the Lord didn't say, hey, Philip, whenever you're done with, with this thing that you're doing here, could you just make your way down toward Gaza? No, he told Philip to get up and go. And what did Philip do? Verse 27. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot 
on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. All right, real quick, let's just talk about Candace for, for a minute. Candace is not a woman's name here. Candace is, uh, is, is a, a title. It means queen or queen mother, okay? We would use it in a similar way. We'd use Caesar or Pharaoh, those kinds of things. And so uh, it's not necessarily referring to her name. It's just it's helping us see the, the, um, the status of this Ethiopian eunuch. He is the treasurer of the queen, okay? The queen's high official, and so he's got a lot of clout. Um, Philip had no idea that he was being sent to a person of this stature, but when you're prompted by the Spirit to get up and go, you get up and go, right? Philip didn't ask questions. He immediately obeyed. And he probably figured that if the Spirit was leading him somewhere, then the Spirit would let him know where it was uh, that he needed to be, that, that when he got there, the, the Spirit would let him know that. And the Spirit did let him know. Go over and join that chariot. Doesn't get much clearer than that. And so Philip obeyed without hesitation again and ran up to the chariot. I love that. He just ran to it. He's like, I got to get there fast. This is where I need to be. So I'm going. I wonder how many gospel opportunities that we miss because we hesitate. We don't think that there's enough time to talk to the guy at the checkout counter or the gal at the gas pump. Passing period is not a great time to talk to the student uh, your, or your classmate about Jesus, right? Or the coworker in the cubicle next to you. What if your boss catches you? Or that parent, that, that parent probably doesn't want you bothering them while they're trying to watch their kid play basketball at the game. I'm sure the neighbor next to you doesn't want to talk. He probably just wants to shovel his driveway and get back inside where it's warm, right? But what if the guy at the checkout is looking for hope? What if the gal at the gas pump is looking for a reason to live? What if the student is struggling to find acceptance or the coworker is searching for purpose? What if the parent has a broken relationship or your neighbor is lonely? Listen to me. The gospel meets every single one of those needs. And we miss opportunities to meet someone's need with the gospel when we don't get up and go when the Spirit prompts us to get up and go. Now, there's a difference between hesitating and discerning. But the Spirit will never prompt you to do something sinful or foolish. In 1 John, we're told to test the spirits to see if they're from God. 1 John 4, 2 and 3 says, This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to people for gospel purposes. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, then Christ is the reason. The Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus and to make him known. Jesus says so in John 16. If you're a Christ follower, listen, you are going to be prompted by the Spirit to encounter people with the gospel. Jesus commanded us to make disciples in the Great Commission, and he gave us the Spirit to help us do that. You will be prompted. So if the Spirit leads us to people, what do we do? We make ourselves available, and we obey in the moment. We need to start seeing our daily schedule less in terms of tasks to get done and more in terms of potential gospel encounters with people. We need to create margin in our schedule so that when the Spirit prompts us to go up and talk to somebody or brings them to us, we view it less as an interruption to our day and more as a gospel opportunity. Listen to me. As a Christ follower, your life is no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. So that means everything in it, including your daily schedule, belongs to God. So when the Spirit leads you to people, don't hesitate. Obey. I struggle with that. As much as I can tell you that with passion, I, I, this, is, this is exactly what God wants me to hear because I fail at this all the time. I hesitate. 
But listen, his commands are not a burden. Think about the joy that you had when the gospel came to you. Why wouldn't you want to share that with others? You may be excited about the gospel, but you may be terrified about sharing it with someone else. Maybe you're afraid of what they'll think, or maybe you're afraid of messing the whole thing up. But listen, the Spirit doesn't just lead you to someone and then leave you there. The Spirit leads people to Jesus. How does He do that? He does it through His Word and through our witness. Look at verse 30. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Philip approached the chariot and he heard the eunuch reading out loud from the writings of Isaiah the prophet. Now the eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship there, and he was most likely what uh, the Jews would call a God-fearer. This was a Gentile who worshipped Israel's God, but he was, um, he was barred from fully participating uh, in all of the Jewish rites. He wasn't allowed to, to go into the inner courts of the temple, he, but he was allowed to go into the synagogues and talk uh, scripture, talk about religion with the rabbis. And so while he was there in Jerusalem, he probably purchased this scroll of Isaiah. And it was common at that time for people to read out loud. And so as Philip approached the chariot, he would have recognized what the guy was reading, what the eunuch was reading, and and known it to be from uh, Isaiah. And the passage that he was reading was from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Now the Spirit had led Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch at the exact moment that he was reading from probably one of the most significant passages in Isaiah and possibly the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Coincidence? No. No. Perfectly orchestrated by the Spirit. That chapter in Isaiah points to a suffering Savior who would come and give himself up as a sacrificial atonement for sinners. Just before Philip was within earshot, the eunuch would have read these words. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. You see, before Philip ever got to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit was leading the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. In John 16, Jesus said that the Spirit will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He also told his disciples that the Spirit would guide them into all truth. Here the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the truth of God, and he is unsettled by what he's reading. Conviction is growing in his heart. The Spirit is always the first and the best witness. In 1 John 5, the Apostle John says that the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. John also says that if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony that he has given us about his Son. But the beautiful plan of God is that the Spirit not only leads people to Jesus through his word, but also he does it in conjunction with our witness. Philip's question to the eunuch was not a condemning question. It wasn't a mocking question. It was a gracious offer for help. Do you understand what you're reading? He recognized the need for the eunuch to make sense of that passage and how that passage pointed to Christ. And Philip was ready to connect the dots 
for the Ethiopian, the Jewish culture has this practice of something they refer to as stringing pearls. It's where they gather together passages uh, from different places in Scripture in order to explore great truths or come to one major point, like putting pearls together on a necklace. And here, after being invited to sit with the eunuch in the chariot, Philip began with that passage in Isaiah, and he began to string pearl after pearl after pearl across the necklace of Scripture, and he hung that necklace on Jesus Christ. He used that passage that the eunuch was reading as a starting point to tell him the good news about Jesus. How well can you string pearls together? Can you get to Jesus from anywhere in Scripture? Philip did it here in Acts 8. Apollos did it in Acts 18. Paul did it in Acts 17 and 28. Jesus did it in John 5 and Luke 24. When the Spirit leads you to encounter someone with gospel purpose, that purpose is to lead that person to encounter Christ. It's vital that we understand how all of Scripture points to him. That's why I love that we've been going through the Gospel Project for almost the past two and a half years. We've been working our way through all of Scripture showing how it points to Jesus and the Gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is hiding behind every verse, but what it does mean is that all of Scripture points together to one central figure, and that figure is Jesus Christ. So if the Spirit leads people to Jesus through his word and our witness, what do we do? We pray and we prepare Now, we can't neglect the Spirit's witness. Remember, John said that the Spirit's testimony is greater than man's. And so we need to pray and ask God to be drawing people to himself through the conviction of the Spirit and his word. Ask God to prepare the hearts of the people that you encounter so that they will be ready to hear the good news about Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. That means people are ready. As we pray, we need to prepare Immerse yourself in God's word daily, and every time you read it, don't stop until you see how that passage brings you to Jesus. What does it show you about the condition of man's heart? How does Jesus become the remedy for that in the gospel? What does it tell you about the nature of who God is? How does that attribute show up in Jesus and the gospel? If all scripture finds its fulfillment in Christ, then if you don't get to him when you read it, it will be unfulfilling. You have to get to Jesus. Now, not every person you encounter will be reading Scripture and wondering what it means when you walk up to them, okay? But the gospel and the revelation of who Christ is is found only in Scripture. So the better understanding we have of the Bible, the better prepared we will be to share the gospel in a way that speaks directly to that person's need at the moment that we encounter them. It's not just about tying scripture together. It's bringing the gospel to the place that person needs to hear it. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We need to be prepared to point to Jesus and to do so in a gentle and a respectful way, just as Philip did here with the Ethiopian But being prepared is hard work, right? It takes diligence and it requires a total dependence on God because no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But listen, we've been given the Spirit of God so that we may understand what we have been freely given in Christ by God. Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. That's because we have the Spirit who dwells inside us, who reveals the mystery of God's Word to us, that mystery being Jesus Christ the hope of glory. The Spirit leads us to people. 
The Spirit leads people to Jesus, and the Spirit leads people to faith, both inwardly and outwardly. Look at verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, it's safe to assume that a little bit of time had passed between verse 35 and verse 36 as Philip was stringing those pearls for this Ethiopian eunuch. And he started with that passage in Isaiah 53. And I like to think that he might have gotten to Isaiah 56 because it's not too much farther down. But, uh, and, and share the promise that God would grant faithful eunuchs an everlasting heritage better than sons and daughters and that their sacrifices would be acceptable on the temple altar because God's house would be called a house of prayer for all the nations. I would think that Philip would get to that because he's talking to a eunuch here. But surely Philip would have reminded the eunuch that everyone has gone astray like sheep and turned their own way. He would have told the eunuch that Christ was pierced because of the eunuch's rebellion. Christ was crushed because of the eunuch's iniquities. Punishment that the eunuch deserved was put on Christ so that the eunuch could have peace, and the eunuch can be healed only by Christ's wounds. Somewhere along that desert road in the chariot, the eunuch must have come to the conclusion that he could never be faithful enough to God and that Christ was his only hope for ever receiving the promises that God had for him. Whatever the details were between verse 35 and 36, one thing's for sure. The Ethiopian eunuch came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We have no reason to believe otherwise here. Now, maybe it's better that Luke doesn't record the context of their conversation that led to that uh, uh, confession, okay? Because what we might be tempted to do is, is to see that as some kind of formula that we need to use with everyone else around us. Well, if Philip started in, in um, Isaiah chapter 53, then I need to start in Isaiah chapter 53. And if he went to chapter 56, then I need to go to there. And if he went here, I need to go here, and I need to do this and this and this. But that way of thinking of salvation will never work. It's essential that we use the word of God because that is where Jesus is revealed. But we can't reduce it to a formula because no man has ever changed another man's heart. That is only ever the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit prompts a response of faith because the Spirit replaces our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh and makes us alive where we were once dead. Listen to these passages. I, Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13, the first half, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. John 3.5, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 6, 63, Jesus said, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Romans 8, 6, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Without the inward work of the Holy Spirit, the eunuch would have remained dead in his sins without hope and without faith. But the spirit gave him life and the faith to believe. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Colossians 2, 13, the second half. He made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Titus 3, 4 and 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by this Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began. What a beautiful gospel. Praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit worked inwardly in the eunuch, and then the Spirit worked 
outwardly. Remember that detail that Luke put in uh, back in verse 26. It's in parentheses. This is a desert road. What don't you find on a desert road? Water, right? And yet, at the moment that the eunuch was ready to be baptized, they came to water. Coincidence? Perfectly orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. What the eunuch says here in verse 36 is, is significant, but that significance can be easily missed when we, uh, unless we remember where he had just come from. Remember, he was in Jerusalem to worship, and remember that he was barred from the inner uh, courts of the temple because he was a Gentile and a eunuch. His ethnicity and his status were keeping him from being able to worship God the way the Jews did. But here, with his newfound identity in Christ, the eunuch asked, what would keep me from being baptized? You see, in Christ, the eunuch found full acceptance and he was no longer barred from fully expressing his worship to the Lord. Now, verse 37, it's not here in the main text. Instead, if your Bible has footnotes, you'll find it there. Following the eunuch's question about getting baptized, verse 37 in the footnotes reads, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, it's in the footnotes because in the early manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts that we have of Acts, that interchange was not in there. Those words were not in there originally. Most likely, it was added in by a scribe some, somewhere down the road as they're copying these uh, documents, these, these parchments, and, and passing them on. But it, it's, not, uh, it's not too far-fetched to understand why that would have happened. Because baptism follows confession of faith, right? And the, and the scribes would, would have assumed that. And so since they didn't see that in there, they thought, well, that, that's what happened. And so they added it in later. The eunuch put his faith in Christ, and the Spirit provided water for him to express that faith outwardly to the whole caravan that traveled with him. And Philip gladly obliged and baptized the eunuch right there on the spot. So if the Spirit leads people to faith, what do we do? We trust the Spirit's work, and we help people respond in obedience. When someone confesses Christ, our first response should not be skepticism. We need to believe that the gospel really is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And we, we need to believe that the Spirit really is able to change someone's heart. Now, only the Lord knows those who are truly His. We can't look on the inward uh, heart, but we can observe outward signs of an inward transformation. Wisdom and discernment are still necessary, but where do those things come from? The Spirit who's working in that person's heart. We need to be careful that we are not barring anyone from worshiping God fully in their newfound faith. Instead, we should be doing everything that we can to encourage them to continue taking steps of obedience that will help that faith grow. And we keep doing that until the Spirit leads us somewhere else. See, the Spirit leads us to people. The Spirit leads people to Jesus. The Spirit leads people to faith. And the Spirit leads us to more people so that the nations are reached through us and through the lives of those that we have reached. Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now whether the, fear, the Spirit... Um, miraculously whisked Philip away here or it was another inward prompting for him to just get up and go immediately. That's unclear. But what's clear is that the Spirit had more people for Philip to go to and share the gospel with. 
At the beginning of this passage, the Spirit led Philip southward to one person. And at the end of this passage, the Spirit led Philip northward uh, to multiple people. And what did Philip do when he got there? He kept traveling north, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. If you read the beginning of Acts chapter 8, you'll see that Philip was actually one of the first people to take the gospel to Samaria, fulfilling that part of the Acts 1-8 call and promise. And at the end of chapter 8, we see a hint of the rest of that 1-8, Acts 1-8 promise coming to fruition. At that time, Ethiopia was viewed as the southernmost end of the earth. And we can assume here that the, the, the eunuch received the Holy Spirit because Peter promised that in Acts 2, for as many as the Lord would call those who repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And after he was baptized, the eunuch was baptized and Philip was gone. The Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. I love that. Rejoicing always accompanies gospel transformation, does it not? So armed with the writings of Isaiah the prophet, with the gospel that he had heard from Philip, with the spirit that was given to him by God, and with a new identity in Christ, the eunuch headed back to Ethiopia. And with his status as a treasurer to the queen, just think of the influence he now has to spread that gospel throughout that region. Now, in a normal case of a new convert to Christ, it would be important for that person to be discipled so that they continue to learn more about Christ and grow in the faith. And we're not told anything else about the Ethiopian here after verse 39. So if he was discipled, we have no idea who did that. But tradition says that he went on to become a missionary to his own people, planting the seeds of the gospel in Ethiopia. You see, anyone who has been transformed by the power of the gospel can share that gospel with others because that transformation has come through the indwelling Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. If the gospel has come to you, you now go with the gospel. So if the Holy Spirit leads us to more people, what do we do? We tell them the good news of the gospel too. After all, that is our mission isn't it? If the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, is there a better way to do that than to speak the good news of Jesus over and over and over and over? And add to that the fact that we get to participate with God himself in spreading the gospel all over the world. Is there anything more motivating, more empowering, and quite frankly, more relieving than that? Is there a better reminder for us at the start of this new year than the reminder that God goes with us in this call that he's given to us? The more we understand the Holy Spirit's role in evangelism, the more effective we will be as witnesses for Jesus because we will rely on the Spirit's power and we will rejoice in the Spirit's work as we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit leads us to people. The Spirit leads people to Jesus. The Spirit leads people to faith, and the Spirit leads us to more people so that the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth and lives are transformed eternally for the glory of God. Spirit-powered evangelism is the only kind of evangelism that works. Don't settle for anything less. We're going to close our time together by responding to God through communion and, and singing this morning. And as we prepare for that, I want to string a few pearls for you if I can. So I just... Just... Sit there and listen. Prepare your hearts. You can close your Bibles or whatever. But I just want you to hear these, these passages and see how they bring us to this glorious truth. Exodus 12, 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. 
Exodus 12, 5 through 7, you must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may, you may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. Exodus 12, 12 through 14, I will pass through the land of Egypt and on, on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. Isaiah 53, 4-7, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But we, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25, he did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Romans 4.25, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. John 6.53-55, so Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. But the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true, true drink. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the grand point of all of that is that Jesus is the pure and spotless Passover lamb who was sacrificed in the place of sinners so that they could be forgiven of their sins and raised with him to eternal life in the Father. This is the heart of the gospel. And we celebrate communion as a remembrance of this beautiful truth and a proclamation that we have put our hope and our trust in Christ alone as our substitute. So if you're not a believer in here this morning, communion is not for you, not yet. Not until you've been transformed by the Spirit of God and have responded in faith to Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have done that, then we invite you to take communion with us this morning. So ushers, you can come forward and we'll distribute the trays. We're gonna eat the bread and drink the juice. They're together in, in two cups, and so make sure that you get them uh, both. But just spend some time reflecting and, and, and praying. Ask the Spirit to reveal these things to you. To help you see the, the richness of the truth of the gospel. And after a few minutes, then I'll come back up and we'll take 
the bread and the juice together. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Jesus, we are so grateful that you willingly came and you laid down your life on our behalf. We are so thankful, God, that you, before the foundations of the world, had a plan for your own glory and for our deep, deep joy that we would find in Jesus Christ a redeemer of our souls. And we thank you, God, that you have given us the Spirit as yet another gift to live in us, to be with us forever, to empower us to go and take this good news of the one who has saved us out so that more can hear it, more can find that joy and that hope and that peace that only the gospel and Jesus Christ has to offer. We love you. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing. Church, God has people for you to encounter this week. And the Spirit goes with you. Get up and go. You're dismissed.